You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. Okay, well, the topic on the table tonight was Christmas brought to us by Alec. Um, And there's a lot of different ways that we could go with this, but being nerd church and us having to, we love to hop into some of the supernatural conversations. I think we're going to take that route as usual because, because we're used to the way in which life typically works. (laughs) We're used to people being born because people had sex and we're used to people, um, being born, that being the entrance of their story. They didn't exist beforehand. There was none of that. Um, and so the the story of Jesus is, is a very intriguing one. And it's one that, you know, the rest of the world kind of sees us as a little crazy for. Because first off, we claim that Mary became pregnant without anyone having done anything to her, which is hard to uh, wrap your minds around. Uh, the only way that would make any sense is a miracle. And of course, you have plenty of Christians who push and be like, well, she wasn't really a virgin. And if you want to follow their work, she could go that route. Uh, kind of my simple thinking on that is you got people like Luke, who apparently was a a physician of some sort. If Luke didn't know how to explain how uh, virginity and and having a baby works. I just feel like as a physician, he could have found a better way to express that, but that's just me. I don't know. <laughs> uh, just a little joke there. Uh, either way, we have a supernatural moment teaching us that it's not two humans that bring about this child into the world. It's the will of God expressing a miracle on a woman to bring about a child into the world. And then as we go on with the story, we find out that this child is not like new as of the birth. He has always existed and that Jesus is a spiritual being of sorts. So the Bible gives us these glimpses where we realize that Jesus is more than just a human. The disciples didn't understand that at first. They they likely just thought that they were walking around with the chosen one, just some guy who uh, was the Messiah, but human like the rest of us. Until they started having these moments where they're like, no, he's more than that. So one of the ones where they seem to worship him is after he walks on water. Uh, There's something about that particular miracle where they realize, okay, this is more than just a human. This this guy can do apparently whatever he wants. But then uh, there's another time where Jesus is on a mountain and turns shiny. Um, He's all shiny, his face is shining, his clothes are shiny, and the way in which the Bible describes him in that moment is kind of a lot of stock imagery in Jewish literature of what a spiritual being looks like. Uh, And Jesus now looks like a spiritual being up on this mountain. Mountains are where you usually met spiritual beings. So we're starting to understand that Jesus has been around longer than just uh, um, when he's been born. And when we go to the Bible, we start trying to figure out how that can be. I mean, he's he's got to be, you know, a spiritual being of some sorts. And the Bible nods that direction, but it goes farther than that. There's clues kind of from the beginning to the end of the Bible that Jesus is um, a particular 
spiritual being who is God himself. So we've talked about this in Nerd Church before, but in the Old Testament, there's a spiritual being called the Angel of the Lord. That is his name, which is part of the reason we don't ever realize that um, it's the same person every time, because it, it's just a title, right? It's not the name of someone. If it said Michael showed up, Michael showed up, Michael showed up, we'd be like, wow, there's something about this Michael guy. But when it says the angel of the Lord, we usually think in our minds an angel of the Lord, but it's not. It's the, like a specific angel of the Lord. And that angel all throughout the Old Testament shows up when God is showing up visibly to people in some kind of physical form. Because we know if we see God, we die. And yet at the same time, the Bible shows us glimpses where people see God and they don't die. Um, so it's God in, in another form of sorts. Jacob wrestles with God and he doesn't die. Um, you have Moses. <laughs> Basically in the same chapter, I think it's like, uh, they can't see God or they'll die. And at the same time, it says, and Moses met with God face to face. Well, how is that possible? Well, the angel of the Lord that was in the pillar of fire that led them throughout the wilderness would often descend the pillar of fire to walk inside the tabernacle to meet with Moses, is what the Bible says if we're paying close attention. Uh, when the angel, when, when uh, Moses meets God in a fiery bush, the angel of the Lord is actually inside of it. Um, so when we catch these glimpses, we have to recognize one of two things. Number one, either the Hebrews are really bad at writing because they always accidentally make it sound like the angel of the Lord is God, or they are intentionally always trying to make it sound like the angel of the Lord is God. And that makes sense of all the times where we meet God in physical form throughout the Old Testament. They're what we call theophanies, that theo, God, becomes visible around us in these kind of theophany moments. Now, I think one of the passages where you really uh, see that God is, is, that this angel who is God, but also isn't like God the Father, um, the passage where I think you see the Christmas story being acted out is actually in Isaiah 9. There's an interesting passage. In Isaiah 9, verse 6, it's a popular passage we quote all the time, and it's actually about Christmas nonetheless. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with righteousness and justice from the time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Now, that is a strange passage. This, I know to us that we're used to passages like this, and we know the story of Jesus, and we know that Jesus is God. So when we read things like this, like, well, yeah, that's just common Christian sense. But this is one of those passages that I always wonder, like, when Isaiah released his new hit, uh, Isaiah 9-6, you know, like, check it out, everybody. Here's who's coming. The Messiah is is wonderful God. Uh, sorry, he's a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Like, did the Jews hear that and think, okay, that is heresy, if I've ever heard it? Because they know who they're waiting for is the son of David, and they know that the son of David 
will be a human being and that he is going to save them and put his kingdom on the earth. So what business does Isaiah have saying that this human being who is to come will be a wonderful counselor and a mighty God and an everlasting father and a prince of peace? Because all of those words carry some overtones. You know, the mighty God part, especially like the Messiah is coming. He's mighty God. <laughs> <laughs> can can Isaiah say that? Like, you mean he'll be like mighty God? No, I said it how it is. He's mighty God. Uh, but the other words too in there, you've got uh, uh, everlasting father. Well, humans aren't everlasting. They die. So how is this human being going to live forever? Maybe he's just being poetic, you know, like everlasting in the sense that he will put his kingdom on the earth, and then when he dies, his descendants will continue on and things like that. And we look at the story of Jesus like, no, no, he's everlasting. He died, but then was brought back to life in a new body and lives forever. But then you have that uh, final, that other line, Prince of Peace, which prince can just mean royalty, but sometimes in the Old Testament, it's used in regards to like the gods, spiritual beings. Uh, Daniel sees a god reigning over uh, Persia, calls it the prince of Persia. Daniel sees a god over Greece, calls it the prince of Greece. So because we already have these overtones that the Messiah will be God, will be everlasting, it also could be that this prince is a spiritual prince of sorts. But there's one other hint, hint too. Like when we think of the word wonderful counselor, we usually think like, well, that's just like, a, you know, counselors just kind of tell you what to do and stuff like that. And especially kings will give you their counsel. So that's just like a royalty phrase. Sure. But the word wonderful actually is used elsewhere in the Bible in a very strange passage. Um, if you were to go back to the birth of Samson, that meat-headed butthead... <laughs> <laughs> I love how we make movies of this guy. It's like, yes, manly movies. It's like, guys, this this dude was supposed to be like the failure of Israel. Like, this was their judge, you know. So, uh, but we still go on to like celebrate him and like the this is what Christianity is about. No, no, we missed the point. Um, Samson has a strange story. His origins start with the angel of the Lord, that God figure who is God that you can see in person in Theophanies. The angel shows up to uh, Samson's parents before, um, before, they're, before he's born. And he goes to his mom, says, Behold, you are barren and have not born children, and you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore, be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. So here's this kind of like supernaturally declared baby that is to come about uh, on a woman who needs a miracle if she's ever to have a baby because she cannot conceive. And so you already, there's sort of like a feeling of Christmas, but bigger than that, there's a feeling of uh, many miracles throughout the Bible are grounded in barrenness because they're reminding us like God is the one who brings about 
our salvation. God is the one that brings about our redemption. And God is the one who can open up wombs to give life where life was not before, to bring life where life currently is not. And so uh, the angel of the Lord appears to a barren woman and says, you're going to have a kid. And it's going to be this Nazarite. And um, the woman is, is confused by this. And uh, she goes to her husband and says, a man of God came to me. And his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God. Very awesome. Just pause right there for a minute. She says, a man came to me. So there's that kind of like physical manifestation of the angel of the Lord where it's, it's, it's clearly physical. But at the same time, she knows that it's angel. And she knows it's like a specific angel because she tells her husband, it had the appearance of the angel of God. Very awesome. So they already had this legend of this specific angel, right, that they all knew about. And she explains to her husband uh, what she was told. And so the husband prays to God and says, um, please let this man of God whom you sent again to us and teach us what we are to do with the child who will be born. And God listens to the husband and sends the man, who is actually the angel of God, back to him. So the angel of God, who is God in physical form, shows up to the woman and she gets her husband and uh let's fast forward here uh the husband says now when are your words now when your words come true what is to be the child's manner of life and what is his mission and the angel of the lord said to manoah of all that i said to the woman let her be careful she may not eat of anything that comes from the vine and re-explains what Samson shouldn't do, which he does. Um, and then Manoah says, please let us detain you and prepare a young goat for you. And the angel of the Lord says, if you detain me, I will not eat your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, then offer it to the Lord. They do that. And this is the interesting part. Manoah says, what is your name? So that when your words come true, we may honor you. The angel of the Lord says to him, why do you ask my name, seeing it is so wonderful? Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? And that right there, the prophets are always playing off words throughout, uh, throughout the Bible that they've read before. I mean, if you look at the footnotes in your Bible, if your Bible has footnotes, you're going to see that they're always alluding to things. Of all the people in the Bible, John in Revelation does this the most. Out of 414 verses, he quotes, he makes allusions to like 500 passages. It's, there's more allusions to Bible verses than there are verses in, in, the, uh, in Revelation. Um, and the prophets do that all the time. They're pulling from each other and they're pulling from other Bible passages. And the only sense that I think they could make theologically as to how um, to not immediately call Isaiah a heretic when he says that the Messiah coming is going to be God, it's going to be everlasting, it's going to be a prince which might have overtones of a God, is because he starts by saying he's a wonderful counselor. And in their minds, they, they could be thinking when they hear that word, wonderful, wonderful, where have we heard that before? And the Bible kind of has a progression of that name because when Job wrestles with him, I think Job asks his name and the angel doesn't give it to him. 
if someone can clarify if I'm wrong there. Um, but now Samson's parents, they ask the name and they get a little nudge. He's wonderful. And now when Isaiah prophesies about the Christmas Messiah who is to come, he uses that word, wonderful counselor. Now, that wouldn't mess with people's heads as much because they'd think to themselves, well, wait a minute. We always know that physical being who is an angel but is God. He's spiritual and also God as a man. Is that what Isaiah is getting at? And they probably didn't put that together yet because that just sounds crazy. But that is the Christian story, that we believe that God of the Old Testament, who has always existed, through whom God made the entire world, is what Paul is going to tell us, is that Jesus helped create the world. That same entity who is God decided to subject himself to human flesh and then did not just become real for the first time, was not just born into uh, existence as though he didn't exist before. Rather, God takes his angel, takes himself, subjects him to the womb, and then he is born into our world. And that had to happen because the problem that we have is a human problem. Humans messed up the world, not God. And humans have to fix the world to get out of it. But no human has ever come about that could fix the world. And so God himself is like, well, I will subject myself to become human. And then I won't sin. Therefore, I'm, I don't carry the curse of death. And then when Satan tries to kill me, he'll have overstepped his bounds and his curse will be broken and then I'll bring about resurrection life. Like this is this is all a, a big plan that that God has going about. Now humanity had to be the one that that brought this about. They couldn't. So the angel of the Lord puts on flesh and does it himself. And you get the the Christmas story right there of a humble God who is willing to bring himself to the lowness of humanity, uh, sinful humanity, to not sin at all and restore us um and that's where you kind of get like the bigger picture of of the jesus of the old testament with the jesus of the new testament in one place he's manifest he's a visible manifestation of god through spiritual flesh and in the new testament he's a visible manifestation of god through physical human flesh take it off see you and that kind of brings us to the end of my babbling. So what y'all got questions or comments or other passages that came to your mind while we were talking where something just went off for you? No, I, you know, I guess just, and again, not really, I, I don't think maybe necessarily along these same lines, but I guess I just, when, when I think about the Christmas story and I, and, um, you know, I think back to the many, many years, um, my dad, we had a tradition every year, my dad would sit down and all of us, you know, even as adults, we would gather around and my dad would read us the Christmas story every year. And that was always our tradition on Christmas Eve before we, you know, headed off to bed for the evening, you know, and, uh, even, even as grownups, you know, we all would just stay the night at the house and everything and it just was a tradition for us and you know i i guess for me just thinking about christmas and thinking about the the mortal flesh that that 
Christ put on and everything. It it's still all these years later, even from a little kid to you know, I'm I'm 40 years old now, and I still am just amazed at the thought of of it all. It still just shocks me to think that you know he took on mortal flesh knowing what it would mean knowing ultimately what the fate of his life was to be and yet he still did it and just you know the 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 love that's there you know and when we've spoken on this before the agape love a love that surpasses any and all understanding a love that knows no bounds no no life it can't touch in its in its actions and to me i've i've witnessed that type of love only a, a few times over the course of my lifetime but um yeah it just it still is such a powerful such a powerful message and such a, an amazing thought that it still almost leaves me speechless at moments just thinking of of what all that entailed the you know not only not only ultimately what he did for us but you know the journey that was entailed in that and still as much as much uh uh, fear that maybe could be felt in, in human form, um, whether or not there was any fear purely in godly form of it, uh, I can't say, obviously. But I know that he felt fear as a man, uh, as a human. Um, but still, whether or not he felt fear um, as as before he, he came uh, to the earth, it's hard to say, but still just, it's just mind boggling, you know? And I think the question that it leads us to some of the questions that can penetrate our mind and our hearts and our thoughts, when we think about that, it can sometimes be a real struggle. It can sometimes lead us to thoughts that are next to impossible to even, you know, really be able to even clarify an answer to, but that's, that's the power of of this that's the power of the story is it takes us on a journey where it makes us sit down and start questioning above and beyond just what his story was but what our story is and how we look at him and how we love him and how we worship him and yeah it's just it's so powerful you know, again, I don't know if that makes any sense. I hope it does, but for me, it just brings back all these emotions and feelings and um, good times and uh, just, again, just brings in all these questions and stuff. And and year after year, I examine my life and, and I say, okay, how have I grown over this last year? How is this affecting me now? How is this affecting me now? at this age than maybe five years ago, 10 years ago, as a, as a kid, you know, where am I at now comparative to that? And yeah, it's just, it's really just a, a power that, um, I don't think any other story in the Bible truly can capture in such a, such a raw and visceral way. Yep. 
Yeah, and there was one expression you used in there too that just got me um, thinking with regards to what I was saying earlier. You know, you talked about Jesus putting on mortal flesh, and I think uh, one of the interesting parallels that we kind of see with Jesus having been spiritual, angelic-like flesh before, you know, spiritual being, is that it's a spiritual being that puts on, it's a spiritual being made of spiritual substance that puts on a human being made of human substance. Um, And then, you know, when he dies and is resurrected, he's resurrected into a new kind of body that uh, is basically, it's like heaven and earth meeting inside the body. So it's like a spiritual being, human being hybrid. And Jesus' body then kind of acts in angelic ways and human ways at the same time. You know, like he he just appears wherever he wants and disappears wherever he wants and can mask himself, and those all feel angelic. At the same time, he can eat fish, and uh, um, you can touch his hands, and you can feel him. And it's like the... Um, that's part of what the resurrection is, is that Jesus puts on humanity, but isn't human just himself, and the two get married together in the resurrection, and then is offered to us that we would have the hybrid body as well, uh, so that we can live eternally. It's also foreshadowed a bit earlier in the Bible, uh, Yes, Abraham is told that he will have descendants like the sand on the shore, but there's also, I think, resurrection hidden in Abraham's promise, too. You will also have descendants that are as numerous as the stars in the sky. Since for ancient people, stars were spiritual beings, um, there's overtones of resurrection that I think are hiding in that declaration that you are going to have descendants one day that will be like spiritual beings. They are eternal, live forever, but they'll still be human because they're your descendants. So you catch that too. And Jesus validates that later in the New Testament because he says that he talked to Abraham, which makes little to no sense except that Abraham saw God, saw the word of God in a vision, and that's how he learned about his descendants being like the stars or the sand. Um, So right there is is a theophany. God appears in a visible form, whether an open vision or a vision of the mind, and tells Abraham that you're going to have descendants. Jesus references that. He's like, yeah, I talked to Abraham, and everyone thinks he's crazy. Like, what? No, I, I did. He doesn't clarify. He's like, well, you all know what I mean. No, Jesus is just like, no, I talked to him a long time ago about this kind of stuff. So, mortal and immortal married into one being, creating a new resurrection one. All because Christmas is a story of immortal becoming mortal, becoming immortal again. So can I can I expand on on one thing I said? Yeah. I I, I guess just as, as you were talking as well, um, with the resurrection stuff, it kind of brought this to mind. Like I've always pondered this question, and I know this is a question that we nobody can answer. There is no definitive answer that can be given to this unless the Lord himself reveals it. Uh, there's no scripture that necessarily talks about it, to my knowledge. Um, but, you know, again, going back to the idea of of as all this was coming to fruition, I mean, obviously, Jesus knew where the, the finale was going to end. I mean, we believe that, you know— 
he sees all, he knows all. Um, obviously, that wasn't hidden. But I've, oft, I've often wondered if, even as purely a spiritual being, if there was still a fear of the idea of death. Not death itself, but maybe just was it going to be like? Obviously, as, you know, as the Lord, he never experienced it, you know, like any of his creations have. Um, and and it also I guess I guess it just makes me wonder, because I think, again, of the many times I've been with others when they've passed, I've seen the the hardships of of death and I've seen how the body suffers and strains. And I've also seen when, um, as believers, you know, Jesus comes to be with them before they pass. And, you know, I've seen um, when they're asked, uh, you know, um, is Jesus here? And they'll just nod and, and say yes, or they'll point to a specific spot. And every time you ask them, that's where he's at. I've seen it. I've seen it. I know that's real. What they're seeing is not a hallucination. It's not something that they're making up. The Lord is with them when they pass. And so I've often wondered if maybe there was, you know, an unknown variable in that. Because for him, you know, he has probably done this many, many times with <laughs> The hundreds of thousands of people, even before the crucifixion, who who worship him, who honored him, and when their time came, he was there to escort them to the gates of of heaven. You know, he was the guide. He was the one to escort. And so I wonder, again, this is just my brain going off on a tangent here. You know, was there maybe some sort of fear of that as a spiritual being, understanding that he would be alone in that process? You know, again, the Bible doesn't ever talk about that as far as I'm concerned. It's just one of those thoughts that I go, huh, you know, ADD brain coming up with stuff. <laughs> well, I would suspect <laughs> I would suspect that he was uh, fearful of it in some way because his biggest temptation was to avoid death. You know, in the desert, Satan, whether he knew that Jesus was going to die or not, Satan offered you know, there's another way to get the world. I know you're here for that. You can get it if you worship me. And the Bible shows that as the consistent temptation of Jesus. Because the next time he brings up, uh, well, I don't know if it's the next time, but one of the big times Jesus calls out Satan is in Peter, when Peter's like, oh, there's another way. You're not going to die. Yeah. And Jesus rebukes him and says, get behind me, Satan. And then when you get to the Garden of Gethsemane, that's supposed to be like the Garden of Eden, right? Like Jesus is facing his own temptation, and his prayer is, if there's another way we can go about this, can we do it that way? But if not, your will be done. And then he's bleeding out his forehead because he's so overwhelmed with what's coming. So I think fear is probably an understatement as to some extent as to what Jesus was going into, and even on the cross saying, God, why have you forsaken me? So... I think we're in good company yeah, I mean, when we're afraid of it to some extent. 
Well, and and yeah, I you know, and and again, I know there was fear in in the human form. I'm just thinking maybe as the spiritual form, even looking ahead before he even came to Earth. You know, just that idea of of because, like again, like I said, you know, he is there in the presence of death for many people. I've seen it many times. You may have seen it, Jamin, on many occasions. Uh, several of us may have, depending on if we've ever lost somebody or, or been there with them when they've passed. Um, it is an experience you will remember because it is unlike anything you've ever seen before. The the passing may be hard, but the the peace that overwhelms the person in that moment it's it's not it's not fear. It's a peace. It's a peace like you have never experienced before. And so, again, I'm just talking maybe from the spiritual aspect of that, knowing that there would not be that presence for him in that. You know, perhaps that was one of the things that, you know, maybe was so overwhelming. Again, just kind of out there thought processing, but still thoughts that just are running through my head. Yeah, and I don't know much about what happens during the transitioning of this life to the next, so I I wouldn't have an answer to that. But I do think the Bible shows Jesus is pretty B.A. in Sheol. <laughs> Once he seems to get down there, he's pretty much just like... Like, I pictured it in one of my books. Like, certainly afraid or um, overwhelmed with the aspect of death. Um the way I picture in my book, a fictional book I wrote, an allegory based on the way the Bible kind of presents Jesus in the underworld, uh, is that all these spiritual beings that are locked up down there are taunting him like, yeah, we got you. And then Jesus just being like, oh, did you? <laughs> and then be like, whoa, 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 hold up. What's happening? Why is he? Why He's human just like everybody else. Why is he? I was going to say, you, you get the... Uh... You get the uh, not that I want to reference this here, but the Watchmen's uh, thing mm. where where uh, Rorschach is in the prison and there all these prisoners he put in there kind of ganging up on him, and he's like, "You don't understand. You think I'm trapped in here with you, but you're trapped in here with me." <laughs> but that I think that's kind of the way that the Bible kind of depicts it a little bit is that he then yeah. like it. <laughs> They all think that Jesus isn't there, is in Sheol for his own judgment, because that's where every human being has ever gone all throughout history. They didn't even stop to think, wait, this guy hasn't sinned before? You know, like, and in that moment, it's like, oh, he just took the keys from the boss, Satan, and then just walked out the front door. So uh, as far as, like, fear of the underworld, I'm not sure. I don't know what it's like down there for three days, but fear of the transitioning or the death. Yeah. And as far as like, you know, the, um, transitioning into that, I haven't seen those kind of hallucinations at death cause I haven't been around it very much, but I have seen similar visions of that sort with people in life. So I, I know what you're talking about to a certain extent. And it's very common that people have those kind of transitionary Holy spirit stories at death. So it's nothing that isn't all over the place in a lot of stories. Yeah. Great. Thanks, Antonius. Now all I have is this mental image of Jesus down below when all of a sudden he just pulls out this mask and he's like, let's do this. <laughs> That's kind of the way that the Bible paints it a little bit, so it works well. <laughs> okay. Who is this guy? 
Jesus. <laughs> Any other final moments from anybody before we wrap up this conversation? Cool. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you for the Christmas story. Throughout ancient history, all of the little G gods in all of their literature, humans were slaves. They weren't made in the image of anybody. They were just there to serve the gods and do their bidding. And no god would have ever thought about becoming like a lowly slave-like servant of a human and yet you went as low as possible you you put on human flesh when none of the other gods would have thought about that and then you descended the bottom to the bottom of the social ladder to wash feet and become a servant to all those around you which certainly no god would have thought about that if they were going to tell their own story they would have been a hercules of sorts but you are the God of gods, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and yet you descended to humanity and then descended even lower than that. And then descended all the way into hell and then gave birth to resurrection and burst forward and came all the way back up here and then went all the way back to heaven. You cover the entire cosmos with your glory. There is nothing that is untouched by you. And you have brought about our salvation and without Christmas, none of that would have happened. We thank you for your way of doing things, and we pray that there would be application in our lives, that if you are willing to come that low to serve us, then certainly you expect your followers to go that low to serve others and bring about your kingdom in the unique ways that the gods don't think about, and the unique ways that... Uh, probably your angels were surprised about when they saw what you were up to. Um, and the unique ways that you continue to do things today. So let us keep our eyes on you, because without you, we're not putting the Christ in Christian. We're just living out our normal human life. Don't let us do that. Convict us. In Jesus' name. Amen.